Hello everybody, good afternoon or good morning, depending on when you're watching this. Uh, my name is Julian Jafai from Chic Physique. I'm here with the owner of the gym, Alan Curry, and we're going to be attempting to start a new vlog series where we talk to certain people about lifestyle and health and how they've sort of managed to get healthy and how that's affected their quality of life. Uh, for our first vlog, we thought we'd start at the beginning and get to know the guy behind the whole idea, Alan Curry, who is here with us. Say hi, Alan. Hello there, everybody. Nice. You all know Alan from probably either the classes yelling at you while you're sweating on the floor or training someone else in the gym. But we're going to get up here behind the veil and meet the man behind the mask. So I guess we should start at the beginning. I know for a fact that Alan grew up in a very beautiful part of the world. So why don't you start by telling us about that? Ad? Yeah, the village uh, where I grew up was uh, Hayden Bridge, which is about 20, 20 miles basically west of Newcastle. Um, Beautiful village on the River Tyne. It's in a valley, big steep sides either side, north and south, um, and very. It was an ex-mining village basically, so it was a great community yeah. spirit and still is. Uh, population something like two and a half thousand. Um, my friends, there was a group of about ten or twelve of us who so used to knock around together, and we still keep in touch to this day. Nice and uh, fantastic, idyllic upbringing. Uh, you know. Uh, playing around, it, building tree camps and bonfires and playing soldiers, right. all the things that you would ideally want for your own kids. We, we did it. Lots and of outdoor uh, space in the north of England, right, in the countryside. Want, yeah, much as nice. you want. I mean, it was, um, it was wonderful. What was school like with so many opportunities to play? School for me was um, interaction with my friends. It was a chance to just have a bit carry on. I wasn't ever a scholar in the sense. I, I, I ended up with six hour levels. I don't know how. I can't even remember doing homework. I keep telling everybody <laughs> and people laughing, it's true. Oh, um, lucky you. Coming back from school, it was a case of, you know, kicking my shoes off, sitting down, waiting for my father, who used to work on the roads, um, coming back for his dinner, washing his hands. I can still smell Swafiga. He used to wash his hands in the sink with Swafiga. Swafiga. In these days, it brings back memories before he sits down for his meal. And uh, we used to sit down, me and my sister, who was six years younger than me, and mum used to put the dinner out, we used to finish the dinner, couldn't leave the table until we'd finished. And then it was a case of I'm off, put on my other shoes, outside the back, pick up my friends and away to play football till it got dark. Football in the summer, sorry, in the winter, cricket in the summer, and that was it. There was nothing, nothing complicated about it. Sounds nice and simple. <laughs> as opposed to nowadays so you mentioned O levels is that where you stopped at school or did you go on further than that well i mean it sounds about planned this but i went into i went into lower sixth form um simply because a, a few of my friends were staying on but um what happens in what happens in m days you, you went from the 11 what they call 11 plus you did a test when you're 11 and from the junior school and a lot of my other friends went into one school and for whatever reason, me and, uh, well, just one other, basically, went to a slightly higher uh, school. Um, and that kind of upset me a little bit because I was separated from my friends, but obviously you make new friends. And I decided to stay on all levels, just yeah. basically because it seemed the right thing to do. I was never really guided by my mother and father. I mean, they just used to say, you know, stick in, you get a good job. There was none of this sit down mm -hmm. and have a heart-to-heart and uh, I was enjoying school because I was, you know, got, had friends and what have you, and, and it just seemed a good thing to do. So I went into lower sixth. Um, we went into obviously more serious stuff, A levels, or preparing for A levels. Yeah. I kind of panicked when I was about uh, seventeen, 
and decided it was time to leave because I just was so far behind on assignments. I was already going to football games and doing the things you're not meant to do, you know. So um, I, I basically left school. Yeah. Was it quite easy to find a job at that time or was it quite a grind? Not at all. It was a, late 1970s, a lot of unemployment. The, a lot of the mines up the northeast were, you know, on strike. There was shipyards and things like that. In Newcastle area, there was a lot of uh, unemployment. So the first job I actually applied for was in the coal board where, as a cartographer. I didn't even know what a cartographer was. I just, like I just drawing saw maps, the, you mean? I saw, well, yeah, basically I saw a, a, an app and... Um, a job description saying that you needed to um, have a geography and an English O level, which I had. So I went for it. There was 600 and something people. Obviously, I didn't get a job. Came home and just told my mother I was definitely going to leave. She was worried. So she got told As the next door neighbour. Yeah. And the next door neighbour um, worked in an unemployment benefit office. Um, and she was asking me about me. And she said that there was a a job with a, as a clerical assistant, again, which I didn't know much about. And she told me to go around with the interview, and I said, is it more, that's a case of who you know rather than what no you know. No matter where you are, yeah. it's who you know. And I got the job. There you go, nice one. So that was your, it's very difficult to imagine you working at a desk, I have to admit, I'm so used to seeing you on your feet like eight hours a day, or nine hours a day, that well, it's hard to imagine you sitting down for that amount of time. Well, my mother thought I'd arrived on planet Earth because she was thrilled to bits and she had to buy me a long jacket and a briefcase and she loved it when I was going to work on the bus every morning, yeah. dressed up. And in the office, it was good. It was um, dealing with a lot of people who were unemployed. Um, me and another guy were two youngest ones. I was 17 and my mate was 18. We used to get put on the desk um, dealing with all the the sort of dodgy guys who used to come oh, yeah. in wanting to know where their cheque in them days you got you got the money by a cheque and they were wanting to know you know what happened to the cheque or having an argument or whatever and we used to deal with them and it was scary but it was yeah, you know I can good, imagine. good good um, good introduction to life it was good how long did you stick with that job then um, I was there two years um, started to get pushed towards promotion clerical officer which meant more responsibility wasn't that interested but I was pushed towards a day release to mm. uh, Newcastle to a place called Charles Trevelyan College and I used to go every Wednesday um, and that was going alright it was a good excuse to be away from work for a day but in the afternoons me and a friend of mine a guy called Grant Summers never forget his name and we used to go for a, a pint and uh, one day we came back a bit late and we were obviously under under the influence of alcohol and the teacher <laughs> teacher got us up to say something and clearly the worst for wear so a letter got sent back to my boss uh, it was a form of warning about my behaviour so I knew then I needed to leave <laughs> so that was the sign that was the sign <laughs> demons of alcohol yes time to get out and where did life take you next then well, I was lucky because I was working at an employment benefit office, so the next door neighbours were the careers information. And a wonderful guy called Tom Peel, me and him got on well together, and when everybody went out for a dinner break one day, I stayed behind and I said to Tom, listen, you know, I need to get out of here because this is going nowhere. Mm -hmm. uh, can you find me a job? And he said, what do you want? I said, I want to travel, I want to see places, I want to do something exciting, not sit in an office all the time, so... He Sounds said, more like you. Yeah, he says, what about the RAF? He says, we've got a guy called Sergeant Fosdyke coming around tomorrow, he says, to the Careers Information. He says, do you want me to book an interview? I says, yeah. So I had the interview. 
uh, it went well. There was everybody on this brochure he gave me on the RAF smiling, even the Alsatian dogs. <laughs> and um, I booked uh, another, what they call an attestation um, um, test, which is basically seeing what sort of you're capable of doing. Yeah. And I went up to Ridley Place in Newcastle, took the attestation, and um, somehow signed up to be uh, a glorified storm and a supplier. Obviously, I, 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 that, that changed as I went on my career. But um, to start with, I joined as a supplier. So you actually spent time as the storeman? No, not at all. I, oh, first, okay. well, first of all, I went home to t- tell my mother that I joined the RF. She nearly, <laughs> I always remember we were having uh, fish for dinner. Yeah. And she nearly dropped the plate. And my father just sat as normal, passive, and uh, asked me when this happened. <laughs> and, um, and I sort of told him the full story and said, listen, I'm joining the 5th of December. And uh, I joined, went away from Newcastle with a group of other lads. And it was me and a great friend of mine, Chris Hufton, who I still keep in touch with. And nice. we joined the suppliers. Uh, did our basic training, like running around with guns and stuff, and realized that being a glorified storeman wasn't going to work. So the two of us did what they call a remuster. And we joined the RAF police, and that's where I did. Nice. The RAF police is where you got to travel and all that? No, not really. I mean, I, no. we, I mean you know, you got to remember, we, I, I mean, it, it, sounds, it sounds more exciting than what it is. Like a lot of people, people don't tell you full stories about things, you know. And um, I can make my, my career very interesting in about two or three minutes. But the truth is that um, I went to Germany. I did Cyprus. I did a lot of English uh, bits and bobs. And... Um, Fairly uneventful. I wasn't chasing Taliban around, you know, Western Supermare or anything. I was just uh, basically doing it. Well, it's a good thing too. So is that how you kind of met, like came in contact with Malta when you were going around the Mediterranean uh, basin with the RAF? Yeah, I was in Germany. In them days, you didn't uh, have Facebook and all that nonsense. You had what they call writing letters. You might remember it well. No, I don't think and I've ever had a letter. <laughs> I'm not sure what you do. And uh, we, we used to write pen... We used to have a lot of girls wanting to be um, pen pals with us. So we had a lot of girls writing and used to pick pen pals. And I just happened to... Before I'd gone in the RF, I'd gone on the last sort of holiday to Malta. And I'd met Carmen, my wife. Nice. And uh, four years later, after a holiday romance with her, four years later, I found a letter she'd been writing to us. And I happened to write back again and we got back together. And cutting long story short, I... Um, I ended up getting married just before I came out of the RF. That's surreal, huh? That's surreal. Yeah, good story. To meet, to meet your wife basically over pen pal ship is crazy to me. But that's <laughs> awesome. It makes for a nice story, like you said, nice and romantic. So what happened after you got... So you were still in the RAF when you got married, and then what? Still in the RAF. Uh, I was going to have an interview for... I was coming out of the RAF. I was going to join the Thames Valley Police down in uh, Bristol area, but didn't really fancy living down there, and... A lot of my friends had joined the Ministry of Defence Police, which was a civilian police force, but under military law, basically, and uh, it's just like being in the military again. Um, and uh, basically, I, I joined the military police because, um, the Ministry of Defence Police, because it was more money, more money, and, uh, you know, again, following kind of people I knew, it seemed a very good deal, and there was no doubt about it, it was a good choice. Nice. So I did 10 years in the Ministry of Defence Police. 10 years? You must have enjoyed it then, whole decade. Yeah, it was all right. Uh, last five years I was in a weapons team. Again, it sounds more exciting than it probably was, but um, 
Yeah, there were some good guys, some great lads, um, especially the last uh, shift I did with them. I had a great set of guys who were, I kept in touch with as well and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it, you know, great. Nice. So have you enjoyed it so much? What made you leave in the end? Well, um, I was getting more involved in the fitness side of things. I was uh, to be part of the weapons team. You needed to be fit and we were given time to actually train on duty. Um, and we had a lot of, you know, uh, opportunities to get as fit as we could. And um, I just was getting asked a little once or twice when we were on these weapons courses if the instructor didn't turn up or they wanted an extra session or asking me to do it. No, and I just nice. really enjoyed it, you know, and I thought, well, yeah, let's go for it. Like. Mm, that's how it starts. I hear dancing had something to do with you at the start <laughs> of your fitness, yeah. uh, <laughs> fitness career. Well, what happened was I was going once a week um, to this gymnasium to... Uh, do this exercise session and I got talking to the girl then saying listen you know I'm quite interested in getting into the fitness industry and at the time I was al already taking a and um, I was going to say online it wasn't online it was a correspondence course where you're sent away and you got information back and it was in, uh, health and nutrition and um, I was doing that at the time it was a six-month course and I asked this girl I said listen you know what's the next best thing to do and she said exercise to music and I went and joined up, and there was me, 22 young ladies, and one guy that was more suited to that type of thing. And um, he nice. he was the only guy in me on the on the course, and I was like a duck out of water. Um, it's fun to imagine. <laughs> it was the most frightening thing I've ever done, I think. Ah. But a very, very good choice. Very good choice. And that's coming from a man that cycles 2,000 kilometers across continents. But yeah, maybe. there you go. <laughs> so how did you end up in Malta then? Well, it was a choice, basically. Uh, things were changing politically in the northeast. Uh, in, in, in the, in, I was at um, a camp over in the northeast of England. And um, <clears throat> it was a case that we knew we were going to get moved. And the weapons team was kind of being wound down because of uh, government cuts and I didn't fancy just going back to doing you know I'd done CID and stuff like that for brief spurs and didn't fancy any of these things so I started getting more and more involved and I did a course down in Lancashire on gym instruction so therefore I had three good qualifications behind me and I thought it's either now or never I knew the wife would, wouldn't say no to moving to Malta so I decided that now or never let's go for it so I made the huge move nice and what was your first job here well first of all it was a hard it was a hard decision to make because yeah, my parents course, sorry, were yeah. my parents were in you know in the 60s so that was the biggest thing my sister um had, had her first child and um, my niece jessica was only three so it was a big a big pull to to pull away from that sort of environment yeah because uh, at the time i was actually living back in the village um you were in hayden bridge yeah so it was, a, it was a big decision, a big one, a massive one. I even left my dog behind. I had to because my father was looking after it at the time and I thought it was more sensible to leave him there because in them days it was a six-month quarantine for dogs and I didn't fancy putting him through that yeah. at his age. So, yeah, I came over. I got a job, um, first of all, with um, uh, Galaxy Hotel and then Marsa. Um, let's just say we had different opinions on the way things should be going, so... We decided to part our way. I ended up in St. Aloysius, yeah. um, where I was there till 2007. Nice. I, I remember <laughs> the St. Aloysius days well. That's when I met you and my mother met you. So <laughs> I remember walking into that gym and being told exactly what to do. And it's a good thing you did because I'm here now thanks to that. 
That's mm-hmm. awesome. So St. Aloysius, seven years, it must have been a pretty nice job, no, for you to have stuck around that long? I was there, actually, I was there 11 years. I was there from 1996 to 2007. And, um, yeah, I, I, I probably, again, I probably wouldn't have left. But circumstances, I, you know, a lot of things, uh, we, have, we had different ways where we thought the job should be going. Um, I was, if you, you know me by now, I don't let the grass grow under my feet. I wanted yeah. to push on. And um, unfortunately, they had a different, um, you know, agenda. So we parted ways. Um, no animosity. It was just a case of let's just you yeah. know, get up and do it. So Fair 2007, enough. I went on my own. Um, but prior to that, I'd already sort of set up a, um, a cycling. Yeah, with uh, the bikes, I was doing right. that part time. Me and a friend called Alex Wells, who lives on the island, and we'd set up a, a cycling tours for tourists as a part name to make a bit extra money, and that was good. And we we did a, a damn good job. We bought ten bikes, a trailer, and a vehicle, and we were taking tourists around the island. Nice. And it was a it was a great setup, you know. But we realised we had no marketing skills. We didn't really. It was it was almost, you know, it was going nowhere really. It was just a case of a bit extra money. And then a company called History and Adventure, they sort of followed our our sort of lead, mm-hmm. uh, started the same type of thing, employed us, and um, we joined we joined them. And uh, again, maybe different uh, different agenda. We had a, a, one idea, they had others, and uh, we we parted away. What was it like cycling around the island back then? Was it any safer than it is now? Or? Totally different. I mean, when when I remember. Very early on, when I first came to Malta and I was cycling, uh, I, I remember going out and never seeing another cyclist, you know. In fact, when we were going for the bank loan to set up Chameleon Cycle Tours, I remember the bank manager, and I wish I could find his name, I'd love to go <laughs> back and see him. He actually turned around to me when I put my business plan in and said, that, listen, Mr. Curry, I don't think you understand Malta. He says, but there's no, there's no uh, real you know, uh, thing for cycling over in Malta. I don't think it's going to work. And he turned me down on the loan. Um, That's a pity. And I wish I could meet him now and you know, sort of see where we've gone. Yeah, it is a bit of a pity when people don't have the same sort of vision as you, <clears throat> um, which is also sort of what happened at St. Aloysius, from what I understand. So is that when you kind of decided to go self-employed? Yeah, another big decision. You know, you talked about RAF, MOD, moving to Malta, um, and then leaving St. Aloysius... Um, was a big decision in one way and an easy decision in another. I knew I had to leave, but it was a case of do I go on my own or do I look for somewhere that's in the same, you know, same sort of agenda as I have. And obviously, I went alone. Two thousand and seven. I was getting a lot of requests for personal training. In the meantime, I'd been doing a lot of courses, so I was well qualified. And um, I decided to take a chance. And I was well, well into my forties, and um, yeah, went on my own. Nice. And uh, as I say, not not an easy choice. Definitely not. I remember your first gym. It was in Pembroke, right? Yeah, we had a little little place thanks to John Zamit from um, the Cycling Federation. Runs the BMX track down there. He found me a fantastic place and uh, I did it all up and brought in techno gym equipment. And uh, I aimed for one-on-one sessions basically to start with. Yeah. And soon built up a very good clientele. And... Yeah, I remember it well. I don't know if it's just kind of like the fondness of memory, but I remember it as being quite a quaint, beautiful little, you know, gym and running mm-hmm. around there with the sea. It was always nice. 
Well, they say nostalgia is not what it used to be. Yeah, exactly. That's it. <laughs> but right. I think uh, memory plays, plays tricks. I think because uh, I think it was probably it's it's it sort of when you think back to it, it probably sounds better than what it was. It was all right. It was a great a great little place, but I mean, obviously, there was restrictions and uh, other gyms were coming up, and obviously, I could see that there was going to be competition. And I wanted to get it into the sharp end of things, so I made the next move. So that's why I decided to move from there, sort of keeping up with what was happening. Yeah, and obviously I was doing a lot of courses and stuff as well, so um, I thought this was the right time. Probably looking back, it was a too big a move at the time. I should have maybe, it's a bit like jumping a river, you know, mm. you need a few stepping stones in between. I think I could have done with at least one stepping stone Yeah. because you, you get hit with, you know, obviously high rents. Of course. You've got to increase your machinery, um, it's not easy. Anybody's, it's, it's sort of even change location when you, you, you're running a business. It's not easy. And people were warning me, you know, be careful and everything. But somebody once told me, you know, I'm, I wouldn't make a good businessman because I follow my heart rather than my head. But I don't agree with that. I think you have to follow your heart a little bit. Sometimes it does play tricks on you. But a lot of the time, I think you ha- you haven't, uh, you know, you have a feeling for something, and you've got to f- you've got to follow that lead. Yeah, I think the world would be a far better place if we had more businessmen that followed their hearts a little bit more, and not just their heads. You know. Yeah. Um. So the cycling thing, besides the uh, the little venture you had, I know cycling is still a big part of your life. Did the uh, life cycle start around this time as well, or was that after? No, I say, uh, the life cycle started in nineteen ninety nine when my uh, my wife Carmen uh, had re- renal failure. And uh, basically it happened around December when I decided she went for her first dialysis and I was so impressed with the nurses there that we de- I decided, listen, you know, I'd like to do something for you. And before you knew it, on Christmas Day, I remember myself and Tony Bugia, who mm-hmm. was the head of the renal unit at the time, we had the maps out and I said, listen, I want to cycle across to England mm-hmm. uh, to raise some money. And the idea initially was just simply to raise a few pennies and you know, maybe, I honestly thought, maybe you can raise a thousand quid will do well, you know. Yeah. Um, before you know, we had Tony joined me, Mark Bonello and Carmel Asher. Um, and we had three different guys. It was Nicky, I can't remember his surname now, but Nicky who drove a vehicle. We had Mae Caruana who was a student at the time, but she came as a cook. She was a member of the gym at St. Aloysius. And um, the physiotherapist who was going to kill me, but I'm just trying to think of his name. I can't put number. He came... And uh, we had seven of us went across and we cycled all the way from Reggio Calabria all the way back to Hayden Bridge. And we raised wow. um, something in the region of forty or 50,000 at a time. In one year, which is big for the time. How it many was fantastic. Is and that, that was Maltese. That was Maltese pounds. Liri Maltese. So like, yeah, nice. And how uh, many kilometers was it from here? 3,200. And we did it in 19 days. We said we were going to do it in 21 days. So I always remember one of, the, one of the press guys asking me, uh, have you got any time limit? And uh, I never thought of that. <laughs> I just intended to about, about 100 mile a day. And nice. I just, on the, on the spot, without even thinking, I says, oh, we'll do it in 21 days. And afterwards I thought, Jesus, what have I said, you know? <laughs> but we actually did it in 19 days. So it was good. Nice. You beat exp- and was, did everyone make it from the ones that set off with you? or No, not everybody, no. no. Uh, yeah. there, was, there was a couple of dropouts. But like with every life cycle, it's a tough yeah. challenge. So what happened after Pembroke? So we went from Pembroke, we went up to, uh, as I say, the new studio next to the um, St. Luke's Hospital. Then we had a, ch- a chance, th- 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 we were f- 
finding it difficult and we made a bit of a bad the only sort of bad decision I think I probably I wouldn't say bad but not the wisest of decisions we moved from there down to Pieta Seafront yeah. and we could see there was going to be problems down there but luckily I was working for Techno Gym at the time as a consultant and we were talking to Hilltop Gardens um, about setting up a gym in the hilltop and it just so happened I was ta- talking to Jackie Camilleri the CEO at the time and she was asking me if I would be willing to do personal training. Yeah. And I says, well, it's going to be difficult from where I am to come up there and all the rest of it. I says, why don't we move lock, stock and barrel? And she says, are you being serious? I says, well, I wasn't really. I says, but I'm not so sure now. And before you know it, we were, we were actually moving the hilltop. Nice. And that was a great move. And uh, thanks yeah. to Mr. Shreeb, uh, we, we got a good deal up there and uh, that's where we are now. I mean, you've had clearly a life full of big decisions and sort of obstacles. And you mentioned the Pieta place wasn't uh, great at on the waterfront. Did that affect any other part of your life or did you just kind of get out as quick as you could? Well, and, uh, just prior to that, I've been doing life cycle, obviously. And, and then about, uh, I think mean, it was 2011, um, we'd obviously, you know, been through some pretty hard times. I mean, in 2009, we lost our great friend Cliff McAuliffe, who was killed on the road. Um, and then obviously you know any sort of you know association federation whatever you want to call it foundation um, goes through difficult times and and it was hard work you know it's hard work to do it yeah. and um, so I decided to take like a sabbatical from the actual trips I was trying to open up a new gymnasium money was tight I yeah. needed a membership I needed to get myself in order so I decided probably when I look back now it wasn't the wisest decision because the thing about Chic Physique and Life Cycle, the kind of dovetail, if I get members in Chic Physique, then inevitably they join Life Cycle and do Life Cycle. And people who do Life Cycle inevitably end up joining Chic Physique. So you can't really separate the two things. And we do the training at Chic Physique. Yeah. So anyways, I took five years off. And then uh, in 2016, when things were kind of back in, in order, I came back into it and uh, actually jumped on the bike and we went to Zambia. Which, that as you well know, one, Julian, right? it was a fantastic, fantastic trip. Yeah, life-changing. <laughs> Certain scenes I saw then, I'll, when I die, when I'm on my deathbed, I'll remember them. Beautiful. No, it was wonderful. I think it was, it, it, I think it goes without saying, it was probably, I don't mind saying it, um, no disrespect to anything about it's gone before or after, but I would honestly still put that one as the best trip I've been on. Um, wonderful country, Zambia, and the people in the whole atmosphere surrounding it was almost like a yeah. comeback it was, it was and like, i remember we were quite worried because it was a relatively small group but it ended up being a fantastic trip and we really came back after that because the next year when we did it in uh, kenya and tanzania it was a big group then well to be honest i mean zambia was the only place where we ever went to and i don't mind saying it because we were very transparent about it we, mm. we literally made no money in zambia we, it was literally um, such a disappointment we lost um, the title sponsor there was things that went you know uh, other organizations obviously set up at the same time it all coincided and we were literally fighting to survive yeah and we was even discussions afterwards we said listen it's been a fantastic trip but can we afford to go the next one and we obviously kept our nerve and since then uh, life cycles taken off again so it was that one blip so yeah. if you're a business you know fine well you're going to have good and bad times and that was definitely a bad time but in one sense but in a fantastic time and i think it relaunched us as well it gave us new identity. We we went to a different level, and uh, now we're much more adventurous, I think, than even before. 
Yeah. So um, and yeah, I think fantastic. though it's another thing that it's, it's very much a part of the work dynamic at Chic Physique that when there are obstacles, you always have some kind of way of looking on the bright side, or at least making a joke out of it and making everyone laugh. So that really helps as well. Well, I mean, there's people, you know, I keep saying, that, you know, I think if you got if you take life too seriously, you're not going to get through. But you've got to be, but at the same time, you've got to diversify. I feel pressure like everybody else, but maybe I don't show it quite as much. But I think you've got to, in business, you've got to be able to diversify and be willing to sort of change with the, the times. Um, I know Chic Physique uh, still tends to cater for the more mature client, but obviously we've catered in the past. We Since we've very, our first um, few years, we, we've now gone much more across the board. And the uh, same with Lifecycle. We had, to, we had to sort of change the strategy a little bit, uh, getting the right people. We've obviously changed the committees and what have you. Yeah, um, and yeah, I think we I think we're sitting very strong at the moment in both both camps. Nice. Well, hopefully both camps can reopen thanks to what's going on at the moment. But yes, I feel good about where we're at. And coming back to the present, there's also new stuff happening with Cheek Physique, right? You're becoming more of a mentor, yeah. personal trainer now as well. Well, two years ago we were approached by a company called Fitness Academy Europe. Um, two lovely people, uh, Marty and Rose. I can't remember the surnames because they're Finnish. And I would get myself tongue-tied, but <laughs> wonderful people came, lived to, intended to live in Malta and wanted to set up this fit, Fitness Academy Europe, which is basically a um, professional teaching for physical fitness instructors, potential. And they asked if we were interested. At first, I wasn't 100% sure, um, but since then, we've got involved, and now it's become a major part of our life. And uh, we are currently into our what third year now and we've been teaching personal instruct instructors um, we're doing continual um, professional development courses and um, just before um, COVID-19 kicked in we were due to go to places like Saudi Arabia Iran yeah. uh, Georgia Finland Bahrain been exciting, eh? <laughs> so um, yeah it's it's put on another angle now and I'm I'm really excited it's 62 year old you know you you're happy sometimes to get out of bed let alone get opportunities like this so yeah it's great nice and so this is the future of Chic Physique what about the future of Life Cycle where do you think that's going to go I honestly have always said I think Life Cycle there's no limit to what Life Cycle can do um, obviously this year's hit us hard we were going to go Buenos Aires to Santiago we had 40 people lined up I don't think that's going to change I think it's every year we've just got to be careful of the type of person we put on um, gone are the days when I used to be a bit more lenient. Um, we're, we're very strict on who we bring in now. We've got the right characters in there, even in the committee, etc. And um, I think it, there's no limit. I mean, it's a big wide world. There's loads of countries we've still got to travel on. Um, people sometimes who don't know anything about what we do and you know just come up with blase comments. They say, well, why do you go abroad? Why don't you stay in Malta? Well, obviously, you know, if you don't understand the concept and you don't see what we've done because we've done this, then it's pointless trying yeah. to explain. But obviously, if you went round round and round every year, then there would be no media attention. And if you haven't you got media have attention, you won't attract sponsors and for sure. so forth. I mean, last year we went to Vietnam and we raised well over 100,000 for renal failure. I mean, the fact um, that the foundation stands after 21 years speaks for itself, you know what I mean? I like to think so. And I, I just say I get tired about trying to explain the concept to some people because it's clear they don't understand. And I think they think it's a glorified holiday. Well, what I say is 
put your name down and see what you think then. Because exactly. it's no holiday, obviously. But it's great. For people who like adventure, it's fantastic. We enjoy it. I'm not saying that. But during the trip itself, obviously, there's a lot of, lot of heartache and tears. But yeah. then when you come back, the feeling of achievement is Exactly. Fantastic. I mean, you enjoy it the same way you enjoy a good challenge. You know what I mean? It's never fun, necessarily, to climb a mountain. But holy hell, when you reach the top, you know? It's yeah, exactly. Good. And that's why you do it, you know? I mean, um, it's, like, it's like that famous thing about somebody asked Chris Bonington why he climbed Everest. And his answer was, it's because it was there. <laughs> and the other guy said, exactly the reason why I don't. So there's two, there's two, yeah, yeah, there's two of, schools of thought, right? Exactly, two schools of thought. Uh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And last question, do you have any advice to any sort of new people coming into the fitness industry? Well, we're giving lots of advice because we're getting a lot of personal trainers coming in. And the only thing I'll say is, you know, take, take heed of what's happened in this COVID-19. It's been a difficult time for everybody. And uh, a lot of people come in, you know, and wanting to start their own gyms, wanting to do this. I would look around and see the gyms that are really established already, including our own, obviously, and ask yourself, do you really want to buy all that machinery and pay all that rent when you've got somewhere where you can do a deal with? All the gyms now will be, will be welcoming these new personal trainers in mm -hmm. to bring the clients in. And I think we've got to kind of work together and uh, help each other a little bit. Whether it'll happen or not, I don't know, because everybody's got egos, um, and it's difficult at times. But um, yeah. I would like to think that... Um, People in the, at the top in the government would kind of take us a bit more seriously because they, 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 they blow a lot of airtime and how important your health is. But then, I'm sorry to say it, like these last few weeks have proven to me it's not high on the agenda one little bit. No. Um, it's people just wanting to talk for votes. And uh, I don't think any government so far has convinced me that uh, health and fitness um, are very high on the agenda. Which is a pity. It is a pity because I think we've got a lot off and if the right people fully trained and properly, you know, monitored, I think we can do a lot of good and they should be encouraged. True. That's very true. Well, thank you very much, Alan. And thank you very much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Obviously, we started with Alan because he owns the gym and it makes sense. But obviously, if there's anyone you want us to talk to, let us know in the comments. And if you have any specific questions about lifestyle or anything like that, me and Alan will be happy to get back to you. Thank you very much once again. Thanks and a lot. See you soon. Thanks a lot, Julian. Thanks. Thank you, Al.